An incident took place in Madison County, Indiana, which came to be known as the Falls Creek Massacre. Six white men murdered nine Seneca and Miami Indians and wounded another. Among the nine dead were three women and four children. The six men were apprehended and tried, and some were executed. One of the men, named John Bridge Jr., was sentenced to death by hanging for his part in the massacre. He was to be executed on June 3, 1825. His father, John Bridge Sr., and another man named Andrew Sawyer, who was John Bridge Jr.'s uncle, were also to be executed on that day. John Bridge Jr., along with a large crowd, witnessed the hangings of his father and his uncle as the crowd waited expectantly for a pardon from the governor. With no sign of a pardon, the sermon was preached as the crowd waited expectantly. Finally, John Bridge Jr. was led to the gallows and a rope was lowered over his head. But as the men waited for a signal, a cheer arose from the back of the crowd. A stranger rode forward and looked the condemned man in the face. Sir, do you know in whose presence you stand? Bridge shook his head no. There are but two powers known to the law that can save you from hanging by the neck until you are dead, dead, dead. One is the great God of the universe. The other is J. Brown Ray, governor of the state of Indiana. The latter stands before you. Handing over a written pardon, the governor announced, you are pardoned. In that instance, what looked like a hopeless situation became a door of hope. John Bridge Jr. went back home, settled down, opened a dry goods store, and died peacefully <clears throat> 15, 51 years later. Now tell the story to ask the question. Can you imagine the fear that must have gripped the heart of that young man as he watched his father and his uncle die, knowing that he was next? Can you imagine the terror uh, as he was led to the gallows and the noose was placed over his neck? It must have been a moment of terror like few have ever experienced. Today we're going to look at the story of a woman who faced a similar situation and learn what set her free. Open your Bible to John chapter 8, verse 1, page uh, page 811 in your pew Bibles, or 816 in your pew Bibles. And when you find that, I'll ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. John chapter 8, verse 1. It says, But Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, He came again to the temple, and all the people came to Him, and He sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded, commanded us that, we, that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he had not heard them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The title of the message is The Freedom of Forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. God, you are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And we come this morning with a great desire to know you better and to be better able to go out to make you known to a lost and a dying world. Father, today we need you to guide us to open our hearts to receive your word. Help us to lay aside the cares of life. And help us just to focus on you in the time that we have left. 
Let your Holy Spirit come and, and, and just give us ears to hear and hearts that would receive. Let your Holy Spirit guide me that I would have clarity of thought and clarity of speech and can speak your words and your ways. And, and just show us, God, the greatness of your forgiveness and what we can do and how we can help others to know it and how we can help others to receive it, Lord. Guide us today that all that we do in this time would bring honor and glory to your name. Help us to respond in ways that would demonstrate you are Lord and that you are the one that we're seeking above all else. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That you may be seated. Now, I just want you to put yourself in this story for a minute. Imagine how this woman must have felt in this situation. Right? Imagine the, just the, the shock of the religious leaders bursting in and grabbing her out and dragging her out before the community. Imagine the, the humiliation that must have been felt as they announced to everyone that was around what she had been doing and what she was guilty of. Also, I would say imagine the fear that she must have had. Right? Because the law, the law demanded that someone caught in the act of adultery, someone guilty of adultery, they would be stoned to death. She was guilty. There was no, no doubt about that. That is an undeniable fact. The law called for her to be stoned. That also is an undeniable fact. I'm, I'm fairly convinced that this woman expected fully to die in this situation. Now, that's kind of a scary picture. Kind of a, a, a terrifying thought to think about. But you know, as equally terrifying is the thought that really we're not a lot different than the woman in this story. Now, granted, we may not have been guilty of committing adultery, but we have lusted with our hearts. Right? We have lied with our mouths. We have coveted with our eyes. Right? We, we have done things that God has said, you shall not do. We have not done things that God has said, you shall do this. Right? So, just as this woman was guilty of violating God's law, we also are guilty of violating God's law in a variety of ways. And just as the law demanded her death, the Bible says that the wages of our sin, it's also death. And the day will come where we stand before the great God of the universe and we give an account for the lives that we've lived and the things that we have done. And on this day, God will be a just judge. And he will execute justice against sin fully and completely. Right? I mean, and, and really just the, the idea of God executing justice fully, that ought to be a fairly terrifying thought to all of us. Right? On, on that day, right, God will bring about all the, all the wrath that our sins deserve will be poured out fully and completely. It's a terrifying thought. Right? But just as this woman stood before the great God of the universe, guilty in her sins. She received something far different than she expected. Right? She expected to find condemnation, but instead she, she received forgiveness. She expected to see hatred from Jesus as she saw from the others, but instead she saw love. She expected to there to be some sort of a, a condemnation and a bondage brought on her, but instead there was freedom. Right? And what she found is that with Jesus, that there is, there is forgiveness for sins. And that forgiveness frees us from the condemnation of the law. Right? And that's what we need to know. Right? Because we are every bit as guilty as the woman in the story. We are every bit as guilty as the man in the, in the introductory story. 
And, and, and on our own, we will face God as judge, jury, and executioner on us because of our sin. But through Jesus, we can find forgiveness. Right? And the forgiveness of Christ frees us from the condemnation of the law. The freedom that Jesus gives us, it frees us from the condemnation of the law. Now, that should be something we all want. We want to be free from the condemnation of the law. We want forgiveness. So how do we, how do we receive that? And I think we learn from this story some things, some, some actions to take so that we can be forgiven by Jesus. I think the first one is just come as you are. You know, a lot of times people have like an idea in their mind. They kind of have to fix themselves. You know, they have to, to make changes and to, to do things. And, and it's like, you know what, I know I've blown it and I've sinned. But there's just so much wrong in my life. I've got to square that away. And then I'll go to Jesus. And then I'll, I'll see about getting forgiveness. But as we look at this story, we see that this woman really didn't have time to do that. I mean, look at verse 4. It says, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now just take a second and let it sink in what we're being told there, that she was caught in the very act of adultery. Right? I mean, in this moment, she was completely guilty. There was, this wasn't hearsay. It wasn't a rumor. It wasn't a Facebook post. Right? This was, she was legitimately caught guilty of the act of adultery. Grabbed in the midst of that, drug out of her house, and thrust before Jesus. She had no time to clean up her act. She had no time to square herself away. She had no time to do anything but fall at Jesus' feet as one guilty, condemned, as a sinner, a violator of God's holy law. And what she did in that midst and just coming as she was, that's what we have to do as well. I mean, there are any number of people I've talked to through the years and they, they know They know that they have sinned against God's law. They know they have broken His commands. And they know they need the forgiveness Jesus offers, but they can't see that they can come as they are. They they can't see that just as they are at this moment is the way they can come. Instead, they have to break off this relationship. Instead, they have to change the way they talk here. Instead, they have to to stop doing this or fix this in their life. And then, then they'll come to church and then they'll hear about Jesus and then they'll give their life to Christ. But the reality is, those who do that never actually come to Jesus. Right? Because there will always be things wrong in our lives. There will always be something that is not up to par. I mean, if you could talk to any believer in this room this morning, and if they were to be, be honest about their lives, and you were to say, have you got it all together? Right? Are you 100% always faithful to follow Jesus? Any honest believer would say, no. No. No, there's, there's things that I struggle with. There's issues I wrestle with. There are failures in my life as a believer and disciple of Jesus Christ. And if any of us had ever waited until we got it all squared away, we would never have ever come to Jesus. We must come as we are. And I think 
something that would help us to understand this is to see the difference between do and done. Right, Because when we build our list of things I've got to get squared away before I come to Jesus, we make our relationship, we make our forgiveness all about the things that we, we do. Right? I'm forgiven because I've stopped sinning. I'm forgiven because I do good. I'm forgiven because of what I have done. But understand, that is not biblical Christianity at all. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not do good and God will accept you. The gospel is trust in what Jesus has already done. Right? What Jesus did, what Jesus has done, that's the basis of your acceptance and mine. That's the basis of your forgiveness and mine. Right? It is never about what we do. It is always about what Jesus has done. Now, let me show you this. Look at what Paul wrote. Now, if anybody had a list of things they had done, Paul. Paul's list of do's was great. And he gives some of them here. <clears throat> if anyone may have confidence in the flesh, right? Confidence in, their, in what they do. I more so. Circumcised on the eighth day. The stock of Israel. Right? And, of course, in the Israeli culture, that's a huge thing. That was the, the way the law commanded. Now, he was a, of the tribe of Benjamin. Right? When the nation of Israel split, there was only one tribe that stayed loyal to God's chosen people of, that was under the lineage of David, and that was Benjamin. Benjamin was also the tribe that the first king of Israel came from. They were, they were special in, in Israel culture. A Hebrew of Hebrews. And what he's saying there is, I'm a full-blooded Jew. My mom was a Jew. My dad was a Jew. My grandparents were Jews. My great-grandparents were Jews. Right? He wasn't half and half. He wasn't a Samaritan. He was a full Jew, right? And then, but not only that, that's just the stuff that happened to him like before he was born. But here's the stuff, that here's Paul's dues. Concerning the law, right, the, the obedience law, a Pharisee. Pharisees were like, they were like the conservative theologians of the day. Right, the Pharisee, it, it actually meant separated one. Theoretically, a Pharisee had separated themselves from all common work just to devote themselves to learning and doing God's law. He was devoted to doing what God wanted done. He, he was concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Right? And so, in Paul's mind, as a Pharisee, the church was an affront to the kingdom of God. Paul did not accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And so them preaching that Jesus was the Messiah, it hurt the Jewish nation. It hurt the Jewish religion. And so Paul said, in effort to, to make sure that Jewish religion thrives, I'll do everything I can to squash the church. Right? And so he followed people all over the world, arresting them and bringing them to Israel so that they could stand trial for blasphemy. He had them executed for their part in telling others about Jesus. Uh, uh, concerning the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. Right? And basically, what that meant was he did all that he was supposed to do. Now, that didn't mean he was perfect. But imagine a world, right? and this is going to be a stretch, but imagine a world in which people who were a part of a religion, they constantly watched and judged others. Right? Imagine a world in which those who were a part of a religion, what they did was they looked at others and they tried to find ways in which they had failed. 
They tried to find ways in which they could say, well, look at how red failed. Look at what Gerald has done. And I'm better than them because I don't do those things. Right. And imagine a world in which that was pretty much everybody. Well, that was the world of the Pharisees. And one of the ways that they demonstrated their greatness was by putting other people in their place. Paul's idea with concerning the law, blameless is, when other Pharisees looked at Paul, they had to go, eh, okay, so everybody can't be like Paul. right? He was like the standard. He, he had all of these things that he, he did. His dues were significant. But all of that changed. When he met Jesus. But what things were gained to me. These I have counted lost for Christ. Yes indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge. Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish. But Paul had all of these dues. And they were legit dues. I mean they were important things. And then he met Jesus and he said. All of my dues are nothing because of what Jesus has done. Right? And that's what he goes on to say. That I may gain him and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Once Paul understood who Jesus was and what Jesus had done, Paul said, my dues are useless. My dues are rubbish. My dues are, are, are just trash. So in light of what Jesus has done, our dues are garbage. They're useless. They're nothing. And the longer we see our dues as something important, the longer we stay separated from Jesus Christ. Because as long as I am trusting in my dues, I am not trusting in what Christ has done. And if I ever want to come to Jesus for salvation, for the freedom of forgiveness, then I have to come as I am. Because I'll never do enough. My dues will never outweigh my bad. Right? My dues will never equal anything that Christ has done. So I have to, to let go of my dues. Trust in what Christ has done. Just come. Come as I am. As the old Saul says, come as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. That's it. The sole reason we are accepted by God. It's because of what Christ has done and never because of anything that we do. And when we just come to Jesus as we are, we find forgiveness. And that forgiveness frees us from the condemnation of the law. Secondly, we want to come just as you are, but secondly, accept forgiveness as a gift. Now, if you look at this woman's story, right, look at verse 10. Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now, here she's guilty. 
And she's earned the wages of her sin. She's earned the condemnation of the law, the judgment that comes from that. And yet, she's brought before Jesus. She's tossed at his feet. And Jesus just says, neither do I condemn you. Right? She, she did nothing to earn her forgiveness. Not only did she not clean herself up before she came, once she got there, she, she didn't do anything to really earn what Christ had done. She didn't come to Jesus and say, if you'll forgive me, I'll turn over a new leaf. No, she had, that hasn't happened. She didn't come to Jesus and say, Lord, from this moment on, I'll, I'll preach against adultery and I'll, I'll teach married women about how to, to live pure lives and I'll teach young women about how to find that one guy and stick with him. She didn't do that. She came and there she was, deserving, guilty. And Jesus just said, I don't condemn you either. She, she, had to, she had to accept that forgiveness was a gift. She couldn't earn it. She couldn't fix it. She couldn't undo what she had done. Jesus forgave her. And all she could do at that moment was say, thank you. She had done nothing and could do nothing to make herself worthy of that forgiveness. Forgiveness is like that. It's a gift. It's something that, that we don't earn. It's something that we just receive. And, and I, I wrestled with the right way to word this. I could have said, quit trying to earn it. Because I think that's what a lot of people do. We, we think, you know, I, I'm going to come and I ask Jesus to forgive me. But man, I've got to, I've really got to buckle down and square it away from this point on. And we're going to talk about serving Jesus in a minute. But... But we're not serving him because we're forgiven. We're serving him to, to maintain our forgiveness. We're serving him to earn what he has done for us. And we can't do that. We have to, to quit earning it. And I think the hard thing about forgiveness sometimes is that it's just something we accept. Right? And I think maybe the reason we have a hard time with that is because... Now maybe, okay, I'm going to say this. This may just be me and I'm going to project onto you to make me feel better. Right? Now... I don't easily give forgiveness as a gift. For me, forgiveness must often be earned. Right now, like the first time, I'll give it. The second time, I'll give it. The third time, I'll, I'll give it. But there's a point to which after you say, I did this and I'm sorry, that I want to say, show me. Show me. Right? Prove to me that you've changed. Prove to me that you're sorry, that you're not going to do this, whatever this is, again. Right? And because that's my mindset and my mentality, I have a hard time just accepting forgiveness as a gift. That God doesn't say to me, oh, really, you're sorry. You're sorry again. You've done it again. You've blown it again. And just say, you know what, because there's times sin in my life and things I struggle with that what I want to do is I'll say okay today I'm going to square it away and I'm going to start doing what's right and then I'll ask God to forgive me right and because I've shown him that I'm really sorry and I'm trying to fix myself and I have to get over that mindset right and just accept that when I ask God to forgive me there's nothing I can do to earn it it's just God saying yes I forgive you right Salvation 
Salvation is not a joint project between us and God. It's not God does 50% and we do 50% and then we make it to heaven as salvation. Salvation is God does 100% and we just say, thank you, Lord, for what you have done for me. That's tough. It's tough. But that's what we have to do. We have to, to accept it as a gift. And I think with that, there's a couple of things that we need to, go, to do to go along with it. One, I think is to understand grace is a gift. right? Because forgiveness is an expression of God's grace. And grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Right? Grace is God not just forgiving us, but giving us what we don't deserve. I think probably one of the best illustrations, and they all kind of fail, but one of the best ones to me is if you're speeding. Right? Not that I would, Michael, but if you were. If you were speeding down the road and you were pulled over and the policeman pulled you over and began to talk to you. Now, if he said, you know what, you were speeding, but I'm going to let you go that time, that's mercy. Right? He's giving us what we don't deserve. But if he said, okay, I'm going to write you this ticket, and then he wrote us the ticket, handed it to us, and then gave us the money to pay it, that is grace. And that's what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. He has not just not punished us for our sins, but He has given us good things despite our sins. He has given us what we don't deserve. But again, it is a gift because we never deserve it. And let me show you just quickly a few passages that that I think reflect this greatly. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Salvation. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, always. From start to finish. Right? It's never about our works. Because if it was, we would what? We would boast. Now look at what the Bible says in Romans. For by grace... What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now I like that. Because there's one thing Abraham was. He was an active guy, wasn't he? I mean, God came to him and said, hey, just get up and leave and I'll show you a place to go that's better. Abraham said, okay. He packed up his stuff and he left. And God said, I'm going to give you a kid. And Abraham said, okay. And he just lived waiting on that. And then when he gave him the kid, God said, take your son, your only son, the son whom you love. And go to a mountain that I will show you and offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham said, okay. I mean, Abraham did a lot. He did a lot of things that God told him to do. And yet, even Abraham, even his, his right standing with God was not based upon his works. Because if it was, he would have had something to boast about. Instead, Scripture says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Right now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Right, when we work... And we receive something for that work. That's not a gift, is it? Right? When you go to your job and you put in your 40 or 50 hours and at the end of the week they give you a paycheck, they don't say, here's a gift for you coming in and working all week, do they? No, they say, here's what you, what you earned. And if salvation was about what we do instead of what Christ has done, then it wouldn't be a gift. It would be we, we've earned it and we would have something to boast about before God. And yet... We don't, because it's never about our works. That's why Paul wrote this. But of him, 
are you in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption? That as it is written, he who glories in glory, the Lord, our salvation, everything about it is based upon who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He is our righteousness. He is our redemption. He is our sanctification. It is even the wisdom idea. I mean, it is even God who made us aware of the fact we needed salvation. Most of us lived a long portion of our life. Fully convinced we were fine in the way we were living. And then someday, just the thought came, you know what, I'm guilty before God for my sin. That wasn't your idea. That was God working in you. So when we get to heaven, none of us are going to say, God, we did it, me and you. You kind of got me started and helped me carry along the slack, but I got us, I got us here. No, it's going to be when we get there, we're going to say, thank you, Lord. I'm here because of you. You got me here. You're the reason I've made it. Right? And if we are ever going to find the freedom of forgiveness, there comes a point where we have to just say, yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And receive it as a gift. Another thing we have to do, though, is you've got to let go of your past. You know, I wonder about this woman because unlike today, this culture wasn't very forgiving. Right? When someone was publicly shamed... I mean, that was like the stigma that stuck with them for life. You never got over it. You never got past it. You were always the woman caught in the very act of adultery. I mean, think about the woman at the well. Why did she go to midday to the well when she went, when everyone else went early in the morning? Because she was living in sin. And she was ashamed to go when everybody else went. Sin shamed them forever. It stained them forever in their culture. And if she was going to to be forgiven, to to find that freedom of forgiveness, she was going to have to let go of her past even if the other people weren't. You know, a lot of us, we have have junk in our past. Things that we have done. We we have blown it epically. And we have done terrible things. And we, we have a hard time letting that go. How could God forgive me when I've done all of these things? went here, I said that, I did this, I did that. The thing is, and that stuff's real. And, and you can't go back and undo it and erase it. But once you're forgiven, that stuff's gone. Right? God, God doesn't think on that anymore. God isn't concerned with that anymore. When God forgives us, God gets rid of our sin. He never thinks of us in that way again. Listen, the condemnation that we feel for our past, that never comes from God. That always comes from the devil. And, and, and let me kind of just throw this out there as well. If you're a person who brings up somebody else's past after they have gone to Jesus for forgiveness, you're less like Christ and more like the devil. Because Satan brings up condemnation. He brings up the past and our failures. God never does. Look at what the Bible says. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will... Remember no more. And that's good stuff. I mean, I remember my failures. But God doesn't. I am so completely forgiven in God's eyes. It's as though they did not exist. Micah says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? Who does not remain or retain his anger forever because he, he delights in mercy. And he will have compassion on us. And he will subdue our iniquities. And you will cast all our sins 
to the depths of the sea. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. When God forgives us, again, it's different than the way I might forgive. Because if I forgive, I might not forget. I might hold on to it. And in a moment when it benefits me the most, I might say, remember when you did this. God doesn't do that. When God forgives our past and he forgives our sin, that junk is it's gone forever. As far as he's concerned. So if we want to live in the freedom of forgiveness, let your past go. You can't fix it. Worrying it doesn't make it better. You can't go back and undo it. But if God has forgiven you, do not remember what God has forgotten. Let go of your past. Again, that's just something you just have to, to do. You just have to let it go. If we want to live in the freedom of forgiveness, and accept that forgiveness as a gift. Accept that you can't earn it. You can't fix it. You can't undo it. All you can do is say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And accept the forgiveness that comes from that. Accept it as a gift. And then finally, you want to come just as you are. You want to accept forgiveness as a gift. And then you want to live the difference that Jesus makes. When we're saved, man, we are meant to be different because of that forgiveness. True forgiveness makes a difference in our lives. Because notice, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. But he didn't say, now go back into your mutually pleasurable lifestyle of adult relationships. He didn't say... As long as you're not hurting anybody else, it's good with me. He didn't say, you know what, those guys are just meddling busybodies anyway. Instead, what he said was, go and sin no more. When he forgives us, there is meant to be a difference in the way we live from that moment on. Because we have been forgiven. Because Christ has forgiven us and freed us from the condemnation of the law. I live differently than I did before. Right? And that is how we are all supposed to be. And I heard a, like the, old, the old saying about a guy who said, I have a good relationship with God. I like to sin and he likes to forgive. It's a wonderful relationship. That is someone who has never met Jesus in their life. That is someone who does not understand the gospel and grace and forgiveness and salvation. When we have been forgiven, truly freed from the condemnation of the law, we're grateful for that. And we want to live differently because of that. And I think the difference is shown in a couple of ways. One, you've got to strive for holiness. I mean... Jesus forgave her freely, but then he said, go and sin no more. Don't go back and do this again. Don't carry on in your adulterous relationship. Don't be a fornicator. Go. Sin no more. Scripture is clear. 
that the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ, what? Depart from iniquity. If I'm going to say that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, then I need to do all that I can to get out of sin. Now, this isn't saying live perfectly. But gosh, try. I mean, it's like we're not pigs. You know, you wash a pig, what's it going to do? It's going to go right back into the mud. We're not pigs. Jesus doesn't pick us up and wash us off and clean us so that we can go right back in the mud. So that we can stay out of the mud and live differently because of him. Peter said it this way, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Right? As children, obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust in your ignorance. Before we were saved, we didn't know what God wanted us to do. We didn't really understand how we were supposed to live and why it mattered. But we know now, we're children of the Most High God. We have been forgiven. So we live differently. It's like a a story I heard of a pastor from Tulsa. And when he was three years old, a policeman found him and his brother living in an abandoned house. They'd been abandoned by their mother. His diaper was literally grown to his little body because of how dirty it was. And this policeman picked him up, and they took them out, and then adopted them as their own. And he said, because of what, because I know what my father brought me out of, I do all that I can not to bring shame to his name. I lived differently as a kid, because I did not want to bring shame to my father. And that's us. We've been lifted up, and we've been saved, and now we don't want to bring shame to our father. And our father is holy. So we should want to live holy as well. We want to show others how the the character and the nature of the God who has saved us. We want to live in such a way that they can see what He is like, that He is real, that He is important. It's how we live. We strive for holiness in our lives. But we also, we want to live for Jesus. We do want to live for Him. Paul said, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. That if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Jesus died for us and he saved us so that we would be his people devoted to doing his will. I mean, that's a part of it. We do it because of what he has done. And listen, living for Jesus is huge. right? I mean, let me ask you, in what ways does your day-to-day life show that you live for Jesus? And, And while I come to church, certainly is part of the answer. It cannot be the end all, be all of that answer. I mean, if the only difference in the way I live and the unbelievers around me is that I come to church on Sunday. I really don't live for Jesus in any noticeable way. Living for Jesus, it affects everything. It affects our priorities. 
Right? We're told to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's a priority. It affects our speech. Right? We're told to not to let certain kinds of talk come out of our mouth. We're told to speak in ways that build others up and not tear them down. It affects my actions. There are things that we are to do because Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives. There are things we are not to do because Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives. It affects our reactions. Right? When someone wrongs us and we want to punch them in the throat, we can't. We are told to give vengeance to God, to be kind to those that hate us. It affects Every area of our lives. You cannot go through scripture and help but see there is no area of our lives that is not affected by Jesus Christ being Lord. Our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, our reactions, our priorities are everything. Living for Jesus, it isn't all the time, every day. Deny myself daily and take up my cross thing that I'm supposed to do. That is, when we're forgiven, though, we want to live for Jesus. Listen, I don't live for Jesus so that I'll go to heaven. Jesus has forgiven me and I'm going to heaven. I live for Jesus because I'm forgiven. I'm going to heaven. He has done an awful lot for me. I know what I was like before he saved me. And I have a pretty decent idea of what I would be like if he wasn't still with me. And knowing how different he has made me, that he has forgiven me. Listen, it frees me to live for him. Not as an obligation, not because I'm supposed to, not to check my box. The love of Christ compels me. He loves me, and that's an amazing thing. And I love Him. And so I'm going to do my best to live for Him. Not perfectly. But I'm surely going to try. And when we have received the freedom of forgiveness. We want to live in a way that demonstrates Jesus has made a difference in our lives. All throughout the Gospels. When Jesus, people met Jesus, they were different. The only people who went back to their lives and lived exactly the way they always had were those who rejected Jesus' offer of salvation. He always makes a difference in our lives. And we are to live that difference out. Let's stand.